0: We're talking today about the saved. The name of the series was Made for Eternity. And uh, and uh, so uh, we've done what was it? We've done uh, made for eternity, we've done heaven, what is heaven, we've done hell, what is hell, uh, where is hell, all that kind of stuff, what's hell all about? We've uh, looked at the lost and who are the lost and how do you get lost and all that kind of stuff. And today I want to talk about the saved, about the children of God, what does it mean to be saved? And so I I have a bunch of scripture passages that I just want to walk through with you all as we look a little bit at the saved. And so we're gonna start with the Old Testament reading that Chris read today. And it's David who spoke the words of this to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies. So first thing I want to say about the saved is The saved are the delivered ones. You know, they were in some kind of bondage at some point in time. They were in some kind of danger. And God stepped into their reality and he delivered them. Uh, And and so David, he goes on, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. So saved are people who take refuge. Who do you take refuge in? This is what David does. He takes refuge in God, right? And there's all kinds of Old Testament passages that say woe to the people who went out to Israel, who take refuge in Israel. You know, you can probably look at Isaiah 30 about that one. Um, Woe to those people who take refuge in things other than God. You know, um, if you think about my own life and the times when I've been in hot water or I've been in challenging places, um, and... uh, you know, two times I think I've lost my job. I remember when I when I was I, I was out of work and I was in a really rough place financially. And uh, I remember sitting in my living room one day and I was weeping and I'm going, God, if you don't help me, I'm 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 done, right? And God stepped in and helped me, and He helped me in some very significant ways that let me know that. It was him who helped me. So, you know, it, it's a powerful thing, right? When you take refuge in God, you know, taking refuge in God, when you think about this kind of thing, if we look back at David, David was in a tough place, and his normal way of doing things was to fight his battles, fight his battles in his own strength. You know, follow out the weapons and have at the guy, right? And I think sometimes that's our natural thing, too. You know, our natural thing when we get in trouble is to haul out our own weapons and have at the situation. And if you look at like 2 Corinthians 10, 2 4, 10, 4 and 5, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. One of the things that that says is it says, Our weapons, it says those who are believers, those, those who are the ones who have trusted God, our weapons are no longer of this world. So, what are the weapons of this world? Well, there's guns and knives and clubs and spears and sticks and whatever you want. Um, there's fists and feet and all that kind of stuff, but there's also gossip and lawyers and manipulation, and, you know, I I don't want to tie lawyers together with manipulation, because I know a couple of lawyers. But you know what I mean, right? You know, we tend to resort to the things of this world to fight our battles. And there are times when you get in over your head, and it's like, boom, everything falls apart, and that's what happened for David, and he took refuge in God. And he basically says, when did God deliver? God delivered him when he ceased to trust in his own strength, and he trusted in God. And for a lot of us, that takes a little while to get to that point, you know what I mean, right? So, you know, he, he goes on, he says, the Lord is my shield and the horn of my salvation. You know, the horn of the salvation, for those of you who don't know what the horn of the salvation is, back in the Old Testament, the altar uh, outside of the, uh, of the Holy of Holies, there was an altar with horns on it. And as long as you grabbed those horns and held on to those horns, you were safe. So God is, a, I think, right, Russell? I think so, yeah. So as long as you held on to those horns, you were safe. Don't let go of the horns, right? Anyway, so Jesus is the word of the salvation. And what David said, as long as I held on to him, as long as I held on to this God Almighty, he saved me. He was my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So this whole concept of being saved is loaded into this passage from 2 Samuel 22. And it's repeated over and over and over. I am saved. So, you know, according to this passage, say need saving. You know, they're at the mercy of enemies. They get to that point where they're beyond their strength. Uh, God does the saving. Um, you know, I think about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. The armor of God speaks about, um, you know, um, about these elements of God. You know, when God saves us, he does a number of things. You so know, for those of you who remember the armor of God, there are several pieces to the armor of God. As you read Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, you find, uh, what is it, the belt of truth, right? First thing is the belt of truth. Well, you know, one day as I was praying this on, I used to pray on the armor of God every day. And I. At it like it's me. It's not just stuff. You know, in my head I was sort of putting on this armor. I could see a picture of you know the old Roman armor, you know, the belt and the, the breastplate and all this stuff. And I felt like Jesus began to he began to bring passages to mind, and he began to say, This is me that you're putting on the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth, according to John uh, 14, 6, right? Um, the breastplate of righteousness, according to Colossians. Jesus is the righteousness. It is his righteousness that covers us and protects our heart. Um, the, uh, what is it? Yeah. Um, that's Romans 3, actually, that passage. Uh, Colossians 1.20 is, is the peace of God. When we take our stand in the boots of the gospel of peace, we take our stand on what was done on the cross, where Jesus accomplished peace for us very simply put, that just means that there's nothing between us and God anymore. A lot of people really feel that God is angry at them. This is what Jesus came to make sure that we didn't have to live in. Knowing that God is at peace with us. Uh, I think about the shield of faith. 1 Peter 1.5 says we are shielded by faith. um, By the power of God through faith. That when we trust God the shield covers us over and the attacks of the enemy falter. Yeah, and I think about the time when um, I lost my job and I'm out of work and the, the devil's just attacking me hard financially. And as I cried out to God, it was like that trusting God shielded me from the disaster that the whole world was telling me is going to happen very shortly. right? And then I think about the sword of the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God letting an act that lays me bare and prepares me, according to Hebrews 4, for the mercy that I have but you know, if you wrap all of this stuff up together, what does it mean to be saved? It means to be clothed in Christ. It means to be wrapped up in the armor of God, the presence of Christ, that truth that is Christ, that righteousness that is Christ, that peace that is Christ, that power that shields us that is Christ, that sword, that wound that is Christ, and then finally that helmet of salvation. And that helmet of salvation is really important. Paul talks about, we take every thought captive to Christ. Paul talks about, we have the mind of Christ. And when I found in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means to let Christ give us his way of thinking. That you can actually be saved. I like that help of salvation. It means God saves us from the old way that we used to think and live. The perspectives by which we Saved from my old way of thinking, which is pretty negative, actually. I mean, my old way of thinking was pretty negative. (laughs) So, this saving, right, this is what God does with us. So, what's requested of us in that Old Testament passage? He says, Take refuge, right? This is come to God, put yourself in His hands, take refuge there. So, let's shift over to the John 3 passage. Now there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. Said, to him "Rabbi, Rabbi means teacher, right? So Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night. Uh, for those of you who have been watching the Chosen series, uh, you, you've seen a, a, a Nicodemus in that series. But he comes to him by night. Um, a little, little fearful. Uh, he's coming to. He, he's obviously got a hunger for Jesus, but it sounds like he's a little fearful of what people will think to learn from Jesus, so he comes to home by night. Rabbi, we know that you will come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's interesting because at the end of the Gospels, very often we're told that the Holy Spirit went with the disciples after Jesus was raised from the dead and sent the disciples out on their great commission. The Holy Spirit went with the disciples. The presence of God went with the disciples and confirmed their word with the signs that fall, you know, there's actually an old uh, revival uh, leader here. He, he died a number of years ago, but about 25 years ago, he was pretty popular. His name was John Wimmer, and he led the Vineyard Movement. So the Vineyard Movement was uh, was uh, a revival that sort of spread across North America. And one of the features in Vineyard Movement was healings and all that kind of stuff, especially healings. And uh, uh, John uh, Whitmer wrote a book called Power Evangelism. And in his book, Power Evangelism, he looked at Jesus' healings and Jesus' miracles, and he said, you know, the purpose of Jesus' healings and miracles was to, to validate the gospel, to touch people's lives in such a way as to say the power of God is here, pay attention now to the message. And it opened people's lives to the gospel. That was the purpose of the healings. The healings were not just uh, an end in themselves anyway nicodemus looks at jesus and says we see these miracles around you and we know that they they prove that you come from god and jesus says to him, truly truly i see you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god now the thing with this truly truly thing jesus is emphasizing my my great professor says when you see the word truly he says that's big emphasis when you see the word truly truly that's extra big emphasis. That's you know, um, that's that's like you know, punch your mama type emphasis, right? Like, except nobody punches their mama, so don't do that, right? Yeah, especially not our mothers' name. Uh, this is <laughs> maybe my mother would punch me if she heard me say that. Anyway, I joke, I joke, right? Um, it that truly, truly thing is. Pay attention to this. I say to you, unless one is born again. He cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This born again thing, um, born again is actually an interesting uh, word. In some places we will call it reborn, or we would call it born anew. And Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He doesn't understand that Jesus is talking about the spiritual deadness of people. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb thinks Jesus is talking uh, physically. And Jesus says, truly, truly, again, I say to you unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So as we look at this born of water, this born of water, we understand that he's talking about baptism here. But there's more to baptism than just water. First Peter speaks about baptism. He says, now saves you. But he said, it's not just washing dirt from the it's not just an outer washing. He says, baptism, when you truly understand baptism, he says it's a cry of a heart for a clean conscience to God. And over the years, we've seen all kinds of baptism. We've seen uh, full immersion baptisms. We've seen places where the, where the church was driven out into the wilderness uh, and, and they found places in the desert where they hid and they didn't have water to so they baptized in little bits of water. Martin Luther one time, he said, you know, if you don't have water, use beer. Uh, he, that's, the, the issue is not so much the, the, the water. It's that cry of conscience, a conscience, Lord, forgive me. So when we are baptized, that's what we're doing. We're crying, Lord, forgive me. And so he says, by water and by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't work in us. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit changes us. You know, and I've, uh, I've told the story a couple of times in this place. You know, and I, I like the story because it just stands out. I see, I see the transition in this man. You know, uh, it's the story of old Mister Burns who uh, was on his deathbed, and I found myself, you know, as he was terrified of dying, asking him. Mr. Burns, only one thing matters. Do you believe Jesus died to forgive your sins and rose from the dead to give you eternal life? And Mr. Burns says, yes. Let's pray. And we prayed and we said, thank you, Lord, that Mr. Burns believes this and that he's going to be in heaven. And after that prayer, Mr. Burns wept. And after that prayer for the next two weeks, Mr. Burns shared with everybody who would walk in his door, I'm free. I've been forgiven. What happened in that It's funny, actually, because my buddy, after Mr. Burns died, his son, my friend, phoned me up, and he said, what happened there? He still didn't understand what happened to his dad. I said, Mr. Burns got born again in that moment. You know, it's one thing to to know about God. You know, when Samuel, the call of Samuel, Samuel, as a little boy, knew about God. and even served in the temple. He did all this religious stuff. It's another thing to know God, and that's what Jesus is speaking about. When we call out to God for that clean conscience, when we enter into that baptismal covenant, understanding the depth of what baptism means, that it's more than just a ritual. God responds to the cry of our heart, and he, he brings us to new life, right? Which is sort of interesting, because what that means is, is it means you're not bad. It means none of us is bad, right? We're, we're dead, So this is the image that we have. We have this image of being dead. So what is a saved person? A saved person is a reborn person. You know, this image of being dead, you know, think of it this way, right? So if you're born alive, and then something kills you, you know you're dead. And uh, you can't really do, once you're dead, you can't really do the things that a live person does anymore. You know, you think about taking a dead guy to a party. That doesn't work too well. I mean, you could drag his carcass in there and you prop him up, I guess, and he can stick the place up, but you don't really interact with a dead guy. A dead guy doesn't really fit a party, you know, you can't get him involved. What's the purpose of a party? The purpose of a party is to enjoy each other, to fellowship, to have fun, to interact, all that stuff. None of this stuff a dead guy can do. But if you put the paddles to him and he comes back to life, Boom! This is the image we have. We have the image that sin has killed us, according to Romans 5. We died inside, according to Romans 5. Heaven is the place of life. And so what happens when we say yes to the Savior? What happens to, when we say to the Lord of life? What happens when we say to the Lord who defeated death on the cross, went into hell, took the power of death and the grave away from Satan, and came out of the grave as a victorious lord. Death could not hold him, and now he gives life to whoever will say yes. He brings us to life. Sin has killed us. We cannot enter into heaven because you can't take a dead guy to a party. But in the moment of new life, brought back to life, we enter in. I I think about the story I heard of a a very difficult birth, you know, Um, And in his birth, the baby was stillborn. And uh, the family had already begun to So there's this idea of being born again. And Jesus just says, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes. and where it is going, and so is everyone who is born in the Spirit. Who makes us born again? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of life comes into us and transforms us. And makes our spirit alive. Strips away our sin, makes us belong to the body of Christ, and gives us the freedom, not only the freedom to trust Him for a moment, but the freedom to trust Him for the rest of our lives, the freedom ultimately to enter into heaven. So that's what a saved person is like, right? Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? And Jesus said, Are you the teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things. You know, it's sort of interesting because oftentimes what I would find in the Bible, a lot of times as teachers, we get caught up in, the, in, in how do you put it, getting all our concepts down properly. And it's funny because i, I met more than one teacher who's not very relational. They're brilliant, but they're not very relational. <laughs> you know, put them in a party and they couldn't they couldn't hold their own. Uh, so, you know, this is sort of Nicodemus. He came from a group of people, the Pharisees. They were very having their doctrine right. Knew everything right down to the technicalities, but not very relational. Jesus told them a couple of times. He says, you know what? You guys, you pile up burdens on the people and then you don't lift a finger to help them. Like, nobody liked the Pharisees. Everybody's terrified of the Pharisees. You get around a Pharisee and you act out of line, and next thing you know, you're chucked out of the synagogue, right? Not friendly people, most of them. But Nicodemus was a little different was hungry for God. and He saw something in Jesus that he wanted. And you know, even as he saw something in Jesus, I think this is evidence that Nicodemus was being called to faith by the Holy Spirit. That is the tradition in the church. We do believe Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus and that he did get saved. Jesus says, uh, truly, truly, I say I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you don't accept our testimony." If I told you earthly things, you don't and you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. Jesus is that connection between heaven, sent from heaven by the by the Father to come and live among us and experience our struggle, as Hebrews 4 says, and die on that cross and be lifted up. You know, uh, the old story of Moses and the serpents in the wilderness was when the serpents were running loose or maybe you want to call it slithering loose amongst the Israelites and biting the Israelites. People were dying and they're all terrified, uh, these serpents, and the complaint was made to Moses. and So Moses sought the Lord, and he said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, everyone who looks to this will be healed of the poison. And so the comparison is made to Jesus, that when Jesus is lifted up, anyone who looks to him in their, in their spiritual deadness, they will be lifted up. Jesus is the agent of our salvation. Okay. Well, I want to take you one last little passage here, you know, as we talk about the saved. So this idea that John presents of coming from, well, Jesus presents through John, of coming from deadness to life, of the Holy Spirit who transforms us like a birth, you know, and, and again, I think that's the important thing, right, because a lot of times what people tend to look at when they think about being saved, they think about just working you know, you're actually already sort of alive, but you just need to work a little harder, get a little more fit spiritually, all that kind of stuff. That's not the image we have. The image is dead to life. It's a transition, transformation, um, just like something coming back from the dead. And so, as I looked a little bit about this whole uh, looking at the saved, what did the saved look like? I found myself drawn to the first John chapter 5 verse 4 and he says this, whoever is born of God overcomes the world so we talked about this rebirth thing whoever has looked to Christ and has been reborn overcomes the world what does the world do? the world kills you right? Uh, if you live the way the world lives, you must die, Romans 5 says that through Adam death came into the world and affected the whole world Even those people who didn't sin deliberately, like Adam and Eve, it affected them. If you live according to that, well, again, what's the world? We're full of books on self-help, how to build yourself up, how to use your own strength, how to visualize your own future, all that kind of stuff. If we live that way, we must die. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Why? Because it depends on the presence of God. It depends on his strength. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, you know, that's an interesting thing for me. Because when you're living your life according to the world, you measure yourself according to the world. And when you look around and when you find yourself in difficult situations and the world says that things are going to go bad for you, and yet God is calling you down that road straight into the badness, and you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you there. He says, this overcomes the world. You know, when the world says that you've lost everything, And you trust God. And God says, I will take care of you. And he does. This faith overcomes the world. So that's what a saved person does. A saved person has faith. They trust God. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Let me just say that anyone who believes in God. The Greeks believed in God back then. The Romans believed in God back then. There were pantheism every. This world. There are hundreds of millions of gods people believe in. He says, One who overcomes the world, one of these saved people, is the one who believes in Jesus is the Son of God. So now we're not generic anymore. We're not just talking God, because you can mean anything with the word God. But we're talking Jesus. This is He who came by water and by blood. When you think about Jesus, Jesus entered into his ministry by being baptized in the wilderness with John. He was put out of the water and he said, let this be done to fulfill all righteousness. I had a guy actually ask me a couple of weeks ago. He said, uh, do I have to be baptized? I said, yeah. He says, why? I said, because okay, Jesus said so." He says, okay. So, we're going to, when I get back to Saskatoon, we're going to arrange a baptism <laughs> out behind his shop in a big tank uh, that he's got in the backyard, and we're going to invite some people. Jesus came that way. By water, he was baptized. And he also came by blood. Jesus became flesh and blood. We speak the word Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in flesh, God who became us, and he died on that cross and he shed his blood. And that blood was a payment for our sins. And not only by water, but by water and the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. And so the Spirit takes what Jesus did in, the, in his baptism, and His dying on the cross, and he makes it real to us. The Spirit bears witness. What does it mean to bear witness? It means the Spirit proves who Jesus is. You know, sometimes people say, well, how do I want to say it? Well, let's trust Jesus and let's see, and it's amazing how the peace comes. It's the Holy Spirit that proves who Jesus is. He's not just a concept. And it says, because the Spirit is truth, so when we depend on the Holy Spirit, Jesus, he comes to reveal to us the truth, so that we know the truth. I remember talking to a couple of uh, Joseph's witness evangelists one day, actually blowing me away in their arguments. And I remember standing there thinking, what do I say? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, tell them your testimony. My testimony was really short at that time. And so I basically said that them this, I said, you know what? I think you guys got your arguments down better than me. But if I was to die today, I know where I'm going. I have peace. <laughs> and the one the one evangelist, he looks, uh, he looks at me and he goes, well, I don't have that kind of peace. Where do you get that peace? And I'm going, what a great opening line, right? So I said, well, his name is Jesus. And then he yelled at me and got angry at me and walked away. But this, this truth, right? What does the Holy Spirit do? He proves the truth of Jesus. Jesus is the truth. For there are three who bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. Um, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. Now I want to take you to Romans 8, chapter 16. Romans 8, chapter 16 Says that the Holy Spirit testifies within us that we are children of God. How do you know that you belong to the family? You know, I I think about myself. You know, I remember going through tough times when I was a teenager. uh, Didn't didn't really like my mother, uh, so I didn't keep Mother's Day very well back then. Didn't really like my father. Didn't really like my sisters. My my brother, I, I he was in a wheelchair, pretty much impossible, not to like, you know. Um, but I, I, I was just a, an angry young man, and I remember saying, I hate this family, and I don't belong to this family, but you know what? In my heart, I know I belong to the family. And when I finally got to the end of my selfishness, it was like, Dad, sorry. Mom, sorry. <laughs> uh, my mother wept on me the day I apologized to her. And, uh, but I knew I belonged. There's a testimony within me. This is what Romans eight says. It says that the Holy Spirit will testify within us. Am I saved? Yeah, you're saved. It's like old Mister Burns laying on his deathbed. Do you believe? Him? Well, yeah, I believe. Him. Good. Let's pray and let's trust that. And in that moment of trust, the peace came. He who believes in the Son of God has that witness in himself. Now, I, again, I think it will be difficult to find. And I remember saying to God, you know, Lord, I'm not sure if I believe anymore. And I I distinctly felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, yes, you do. Well, what do you mean? Because it would be easy to walk away from if you did. You know, I think about those of you who care who may have gone through relational difficulties. You know, you're looking at your spouse, you're going, I don't like you anymore. (laughs) You know, or maybe your spouse is looking at you saying that. And and you're thinking, I don't think I love them anymore. Oh, yeah, well, it would be easy to walk away from them. Remember somebody telling me that. I don't love them anymore. Okay, well, then it'll be easy for you to walk away from them. It wasn't easy. It tore, it, it, it tore both their hearts out. When you truly belong, when you truly love someone, it's not that easy to walk away from. And so it is with God that God has grafted us in. He has made us a part of our family. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So, at the end of the day, who are the saved? We are those who have trusted Jesus. We are those who he has washed us in a way. You know, we still struggle. Certainly we do. Uh, But we are those who belong to him. And at the end of the day, regardless of what His Son has life, and who who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let's pray. God Almighty, we tell you we love you and we thank you that we have been saved. Father, we thank you that we believe in Jesus. We believe jesus you died that you shed your blood lord you were baptized you came by water and the blood as it says in your baptism you were filled with the spirit of god you lived that perfect life you died for us and you forgave our sins and then you rose from the dead allows us to trust you and to be at peace. So Father, we say we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we trust in him. And we rest in what he has done. May you bless, Lord, uh, everyone who's here today. And may your blessing and your encouragement be upon those who hear this over the internet as well. That in each home, Spirit will come, that there will be a testimony and conviction that we are the children of God, and that we can rest in you, in Jesus' name.